energy so stalling, yeah. Everybody's running scared. We used to be so carefree, we used to be so happy, we used to have everything we need. Welcome to Village Mentality, where melanated people are connected in spirit, love, and community. What's up, kings and queens, beautiful people everywhere? It's your girl, C.K. McGee, and I am your host. Hey there, beautiful people. How's everyone doing? I pray that you are all doing as well as you can be. Welcome back for another episode of Village Mentality. I'm so glad to have you all here with me in the village, and you're welcome to join me each and every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I would also like to give a warm welcome to those of you who may be tuning in for the very first time. Now, if you're looking to see what Village Mentality is all about, then I invite you to catch up on all previous episodes of Village Mentality, you can find them on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and The Awakened Lounge. Now, I also provide links to each episode on both Instagram and Facebook, and I'll share those with you at the end of the show. As a mental health advocate with lived experience, each week, I'll be talking about different topics that could impact our mental health particularly within BIPOC communities, which by virtue of the fact that I am an African-American woman, it only stands to reason that I would be concerned about communities of color and our mental health. Now, in all actuality, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are from because we can all be impacted, okay? Now, the purpose of this podcast is to bring awareness to the many different ways that our mental health can be impacted, showing that poor mental health outcomes are not always caused by chemical imbalance, but from the various stressors or trauma or circumstances that we all face from time to time in our lives. Through education and advocacy for those like myself who have lived experience, the hope is that we'll be able to show up in more effective ways to support those around us that may be suffering. The stigma of mental illness and conversations about our mental health can be more difficult for marginalized and intersectional groups, and it interferes with our ability to take care of our mental health as we should. Now, Village, I cannot stress enough how essential self-care practices are for our mental health and our overall well-being. We must learn to take care of ourselves so that we can rejuvenate our spirits and souls. And that way, we can continue to be the fantabulous kings and queens that we most definitely are. And I'll be right here to remind us of that fact each and every week. And if you've heard the show before, then you know that there'll be plenty of music too. Now, without further ado, I believe that it's time for me to take my first walk of the evening in my musical jukebox. 
This is the first single from this R&B artist from his album, Make It Last Forever. It reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100 and number one on the Hot R&B Hip Hop Singles and Tracks chart for three weeks. And it became the most successful number one single of 1988 on the Billboard Hot R&B chart. Now this song also peaked at number 38 on the dance chart and it topped the R&B Billboard year-end chart for 1988. It was ranked number six on complex.com's list of the 25 best New Jack Swing songs of all time. Now here's a little something to make you dance or at least bob your head, right? It's Key Sweat with I Want Her.
legend Diana Ross. The song was issued from Motown as the lead single in 1980 from her 11th studio album named Diana. Upside Down hit number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart on September 6, 1980, and it stayed there for four weeks. It also hit number one on the Billboard Disco and Soul charts. It was a big hit internationally, topping the singles charts in Australia, Denmark, New Zealand, Sweden, South Africa, Italy, Norway, and even Switzerland, and it reached number five in Canada. 
It also earned her a British Phonographic Industry Silver Disc Award for sales in access of, excuse me, I should say, in excess of 250,000 copies. And it is listed as number 89 on Billboard's Greatest Hot 100 Songs of All Time. Well, Village, you know me. I like to take a little bit of time to talk about something, you know, whether it be about current events, entertainment, or something that's just on my mind. So why don't we get into my segment called Let's Talk About It. Village, in this month alone, and should I say, to my knowledge, there have been three mass shootings. The Buffalo mass shooting, the Laguna Woods Church shooting, and the Texas school shooting, where 19 students and two teachers were killed. Now, through the course of my reading, I see that there are different definitions of what constitutes a mass shooting. The simplest for me to understand is when four or more people are shot and they can either be injured or killed in a single incident. To think that it's been 10 years after Sandy Hook, and yet here we are talking about another elementary school where innocent young lives have been taken. And it's just unbelievably heartbreaking. This was a school full of second, third, and fourth graders who were in their last week of school before summer break. Can you imagine the things that these children and their teachers were looking forward to? Swimming, camping, taking hikes, visiting family, just being able to spend time with one another. That's what they were looking forward to. And that is what has been taken from them. The ability to live their lives in a world where parents should be able to trust that when they drop their children off at school in the morning, they'll be able to pick them up later on in the afternoon. There shouldn't be any question about that. But there are people in this world who are filled with hate and disdain who now cause that to be questionable. Whether you're at school, out grocery shopping, in your place of worship, on the train, at the movie theater, or even at a music festival. This is America, right? Home of the brave, land of the free. And we usually are referring to foreign enemies that we need to protect ourselves from. But what about the domestic ones? Who is going to protect us from them? I cannot believe that this keeps happening over and over again. Do you realize that there are more mass shootings in this country than anywhere else in the world? I mean, think about it. It would only stand to reason because after all, we have so much access to everything. But it appears that there are some out there that would rather use that access for harm than for good. Now, the Second Amendment states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But much has changed since 1791, and the traditional militia fell into destitute 
and state-based militia organizations were eventually incorporated into the federal military structure. The nation's military establishment has become enormously more powerful than 18th century armies. We still hear political rhetoric about federal tyranny, but most Americans do not fear the nation's armed forces, and virtually no one thinks that an armed populace could defeat those forces in battle. So yeah, there was a time when it was thought that there would be a possibility of civilians needing to take up arms in order to form a militia if it became necessary. They would have their own guns and they would participate in unpaid training just in case they were needed. Furthermore, 18th century civilians routinely kept at home the very same weapons that they would need if they were called to serve in the militia. While modern soldiers are equipped with weapons that differ significantly from those generally thought appropriate for civilian uses. Civilians no longer expect to use their household weapons for militia duty, although they keep and bear arms to defend against things like common criminals, you know, like someone breaking into your house, you have the right to protect your home and your property, as well as for hunting and other forms of recreation, okay? But nowhere, beautiful people, nowhere in the Constitution does it say that you have the right to purchase like 400 rounds of ammunition or to purchase assault weapons to use on other Americans who are unarmed and have not done anything to you. It doesn't say that anywhere. It doesn't. So I am remembering today, and I ask that you remember also, Layla Salazar, whose father would play Guns N' Roses, sweet child of mine, as he drove her to school each morning, and she would sing along. Her brother describes her as positive and energetic. She was so happy, he said, so free of life, and she was so sweet. Tessa Mata, whose family talked about seeing other mass shootings, and, you know, they never thought that it could happen in their community. Alethea Ramirez, who was described as a talented young girl who loved to draw. In fact, there's an illustration of hers on the Uvalde School District website, and it was among the winners for a bullying campaign, and it was entitled, Kindness Takes Courage. Uzziah Garcia, his grandfather said that he was the sweetest little boy that he's ever known, and he just saw him during spring break. McKenna Lee Elrod, she loved to play baseball, excuse me, softball, do gymnastics, she loved to dance and sing, to play with fidget toys, and she loved spending time with her family. Jayla Nicole Silguero and JC Carmela Yavenos. And I do apologize if I've mispronounced anyone's name because that is not my intention. They were cousins. They were nothing but loving baby angels. Always had smiles on their faces, says another of their cousins. Their grandfather just recently passed away two weeks ago. Rogelio Torres, described by his mother as a very smart and loving child. She stated that not only is her entire family devastated by this, but so is the community. Annabella Rodriguez 
and Jacqueline Jalen Cazares. They were also cousins. In fact, a lot of the students who attend Robb Elementary School are family. And Jacqueline's father stated, my little girl was full of life and touched so many people. She was the one that would go out of her way to help anyone. Alejandra Cruz Torres was a student that died that fateful day. Amory Jo Garza, we learned from her father that she just celebrated her 10th birthday on May 10th. He goes on to say, my little love is now flying high with the angels above. And he reminds us to not take a second for granted, hug your family and to tell them that you love them. Xavier James Lopez, his mother was at the award ceremony about one to two hours before the shooting, not knowing that it would be the last time. Xavier was described as the life of the party. He loved to dance and play baseball, and he had just made the honor roll. Eva Mireles, Mire, sorry, Mireles. Again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing anyone's name. It is not my intention. She was a fourth grade teacher at the elementary school, and she had been a teacher in the school district for approximately 17 years. She was just adventurous and courageous and vivacious and could light up a room. Her co-teacher, Irma Garcia, had been teaching for 23 years. Now she and her husband were about to celebrate their 25th anniversary. The two had known each other since the eighth grade and they had four children together. On the same morning that her husband came to the memorial site, it was reported that he had suffered a massive heart attack and died. And I believe that that was last Thursday. So now not only have their children lost their mother, but now their father as well. Irma loved barbecue with her husband, listened to music and to take country cruises. Neva Bravo and Ellie Garcia were two other students that were lost that day. Alexandra Rubio was an honor student. And the same day that she was killed, she received a Good Citizen Award. Just hours earlier, she was posing with her parents, smiling. Her parents told her that they loved her and that they would pick her up after school. Who would have known that that would be their last goodbye? Maddie Rodriguez, she was described as charismatic, goal-driven, ambitious, determined, focused, competitive, smart, bright, beautiful, and happy. Wow, what a, what, a, what a child so full of life. Listen to those characteristics. Listen to how she was described. Listen to what was taken out of this world. Miranda Mathis, she was killed that day, but thankfully her brother, who also attends Rob Elementary was not injured. And Jose Flores, in a message from his uncle on Facebook, it said, I love you and I miss you. Now questions arose as to why the police response took so long. And there's a lot of frustration, understandably so, in this community. We are so focused on the right to bear arms. But when, I ask, Will we be focused on the right to let people live peacefully in their communities with their friends and families? When will we care more about protecting innocent people 
from those who take the Second Amendment and use it as justification to perpetuate these senseless and devastating acts of violence. When will all lives matter? Okay, beautiful people. So June is PTSD Awareness Month. And one of the things that's very important to me as a mental health advocate is to help us to have a better understanding of the different mental health conditions that can impact us. We have all heard the saying that knowledge is power. And I also think that it liberates us as well, because the more we know, the less fear that we have of the unknown. And that is one of the best ways, at least I think, to eliminate the stigma that people with mental illness or those who live with mental health conditions face each and every day. I want us to be in a better position to give effective support to those around us who may really need us to see them through. We are a village and we need to pull together in our collective strengths so that we can help those who may not be able to help themselves. Now, National PTSD Awareness Month is observed in June, as I've mentioned, and it ushers in an array of awareness campaigns run for the benefit of PTSD survivors. Now, PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder, occurs in people after they have experienced a particularly traumatic event, like war, violent, physical, sexual, verbal assault, accidents, and so forth. Some of the symptoms include depression, anxiety, nightmares, paranoia, insomnia, disturbing thoughts, and much more. Many people recover from PTSD after a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, or even some months. But for others, the recovery road might be a year or more. Now, this mental health disorder is highly treatable, but due to the lack of knowledge around it, as well as the stigma attached to seeking mental health, many choose to ignore the problem and they suffer through it. So let's learn a little history of National PTSD Awareness Month, shall we? Now, in 2010, the U.S. Senate declared June 27 to be National PTSD Awareness Day. However, in 2014, it designated the whole month of June to be observed as National PTSD Awareness Month. This was a welcome move by many PTSD organizations and support groups as many felt that more awareness campaigns needed to be held for people to seek help when it came to PTSD. The U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs, one of the most active forerunners in the fight against PTSD, has released a special June calendar that people can download. Yes, this special calendar, it features several activities like raising awareness on social media through shared PTSD helplines, articles, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel that they have, and you can also find local PTSD therapists, okay, as well as some other resources that you might be interested in. And it's all aimed to increase awareness and support for PTSD survivors. Now, this is not a newly recognized uh, mental health disorder, okay? This disorder actually dates back to 50 BC when it was described in a poem by Hippocrates. He talks about the experiences of a soldier returning home after a battle. 
PTSD started gaining more attention after the wars between England and France, when many people, civilians, and soldiers alike reported experiencing symptoms like anxiety, insomnia, intrusive and disturbing thoughts, and flashbacks, okay? Now, this continued throughout World War I and World War II, where at the time, PTSD was known as shell shock or battle fatigue. Okay, do any of those terms sound familiar to you guys? So it wasn't until 1970 with the Vietnam War that this mental health disorder was renamed PTSD. Earlier treatments related to electric shock therapy and other painful options. But today's modern technology and extensive research have led to much better and effective treatments like group therapy, counseling, and antidepressants. All month long, I'll be talking to you guys about PTSD. We'll be talking about how we can observe it this month. We'll talk about some facts about trauma that you may not be aware of. And I'll share some resources if you or someone that you know are living with this condition. Okay, Village. So I think it just might be this might be a good time to talk about self-care, okay? Given all that we've heard in these last couple of weeks with the mass shooting in Buffalo and the Texas mass shooting in elementary school, um, you know, we said that 19 students and two teachers were killed, but there were also 17 people that were injured, including the shooter's grandmother. And, you know, there are various conversations that are going on across the country about increasing gun violence in places like New York City and Atlanta. We need a break, right? You feel me? Now, traumatic news, it can trigger PTSD-like symptoms, right? You may not know this, but regular exposure, upsetting information, can trigger symptoms, mimic post-traumatic stress disorder and anxiety. Some people refer to this as vicarious trauma. So like, for instance, if you're continuously hearing about other people who are living through tra uh, traumatic experience and you're hearing about these kinds of events over and over again, it might trigger something within you because, you know, nine times out of 10, somewhere in our lives, we have experienced something traumatic. Okay. But everyone is unique. And some people are more susceptible and sensitive to these effects. So some of the symptoms that we can watch out for include things like panic attacks, change in mood where you're irritable, tearfulness, anxiety, right? You're experiencing those things. Disturbances in your sleep, hypervigilance where you're easily startled, ruminating about the event, which can be a distraction, concentration struggles, Physiological effects such as muscle tension, headaches, stomach upset, especially in children. Feeling out of it, you know, some depersonalization or derealization, nightmares. Maybe you might notice changes in your appetite. Something unique happens when we regularly absorb information about traumatic events. The sights, the sounds, and repetitive nature of the news and media can truly wear a person out. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever just been like, enough, I can't anymore, right? I know I have. By nature, humans are relational. And media is often designed 
to trigger our sympathies and emotions. If you're familiar with therapy or counseling, you'll probably notice that our thoughts and behaviors have a powerful impact on our emotions. Many therapists work very hard to teach their clients ways to replace negative thinking and unhealthy behaviors to help their clients feel better and healthier. Regularly taking in upsetting information is likely to affect you in some way. So Dr. Kimberly A. Kuntz has helped us by giving us six tips, okay, to show us how we can mindfully care for ourselves during times of distress. Okay, so number one, he says that we should take charge of our exposure to media. We need to be mindful when you're reading the news, right? Like for instance, maybe right before bed is not a good time, okay, to read about the news, all this traumatic stuff that's going on, okay? <laughs> Pay attention to how you feel when reading news or someone's post on Twitter or other social media platforms. Do you feel your pulse quicken? You know, do you have the urge to reply with a snarky comment or a defensive comment, right? Monitor your push notifications or automatic alerts on your mobile devices. You don't wanna be getting, you know, messages late at night where you hear about some horrible event that happened in some part of the country, okay? That's probably not gonna help you get back to sleep. Two, you should know what your triggers are. Now, you don't have to have a mental health diagnosis in order to be more sensitive to different topics. We've all faced difficult things, and some of us are simply more sensitive to certain issues, right? And some of those possible sensitivities could include politics, abortion, abuse, weather-related disaster, racism, war, violence against the LGBT, the LGBTQ plus community, etc. It could be all kinds of different things, right? And it might impact you in ways that it doesn't impact someone else. So we have to be aware of that possibility. Number three, practice good self-care. Always talking about the importance of self-care. Eat well, sleep well, exercise, drink plenty of water, spend time with loved ones, enjoy your pets and your children, have fun, and continue to be active with household duties and chores. Maybe you guys have projects that you have been putting off, you know? Maybe you need to kind of get lost in that and and um, enjoy the accomplishment of having achieved something that you finally, you know, that you have been looking to do for the longest time, right? Process your feelings. In-person is probably best because there can be many disputes and miscommunications that occur over text or social media. You ever get a text message from somebody and you become upset, but that person's like, what? Because they didn't mean it the way that you received it. So that's what they're saying. Sometimes it's best to speak to someone in person or speak to somebody over the phone. You know, this, this generation is so technically inclined that we, we're losing our interpersonal skill. Okay, that's just my opinion. It doesn't hurt to be choosy though about who you talk to, okay? Talk to someone who cares about you and who is like-minded when you feel sensitive or upset about certain events, okay? There's always time to converse and debate when you're feeling better, but when you're feeling upset, that might not be the best time. Talk to a therapist, number five. 
Some people are afraid that their therapist will judge them or disagree with them when they talk about social and political matters. But most therapists know that you're not there to debate, okay? That you're just wanting to explore how to take care of yourself when social events upset you. So if you're unsure, be assertive and say something to them like, I'm really worried about political events. Like for instance, this is a midterm election year, okay? We explore ways that I can manage my worries so that, you know, you don't become overwhelmed by them, right? And number six, get involved. Do things like donate blood, volunteer at a homeless shelter, learn about how to get involved with groups who support your beliefs and values, and engage in random acts of kindness. Being kind can always make you and someone else feel better, right? Again, there's nothing wrong with being informed, okay? There is a benefit to allowing yourself to passionately follow news and information about issues that matter to you. But I'm here to remind you to take care of yourself while doing so. We are the most helpful and effective when we have taken good care of ourselves. And this is why, beautiful people, self-care is essential. We are no good to anyone else if we're not taking care of ourselves. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Self-care is more than bubble baths and chocolate. I mean, those things can be very soothing and relaxing. Don't get it twisted. But self-care is much more involved than that. And it is something that we all need to do for ourselves. I'm talking to you kings. I'm talking to you queens. And I'm also talking to our little kings and queens in training. All right? All of us need to take care of ourselves. We need to take better care of ourselves and each other. You feel me? This next song appeared on the soundtrack to the feature film Footloose. The song was released as a single from both the soundtrack and her album of the song Same Name on February 14, 1984 by Columbia Records. It was written by Tom Snow and Dean Pitchford and produced by George Duke. The song became her second number one on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and it also topped the dance and R&B charts at number two on the UK singles chart behind Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. And it was also nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, Certified Platinum in the US, Gold in Canada, and Silver in the UK. Here's Denise Williams with Let's Hear It for the Boy.
this living legend's music has been heard throughout my lifetime. And I have to say that in his lifetime collection of music, there's a song for everyone. I'm convinced. And this next song is no exception. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100, R&B, dance, and adult contemporary charts, becoming his final number one hit to date. Now, the song's simultaneous chart successes made him the first artist to score a number one hit on four different billboard charts, because that's just what he does, and he's going to make it do what it do, baby. Now, lyrically, it tells the story of a man who is cheating on his wife with a mistress, only to find out in the end that his wife is cheating on him. Okay, <laughs> I guess two can play that game. Well. Here's the legend himself, Mr. Stevie Wonder with Part-Time Lover. And when we come back, I will get into today's topic. Bye. 
Okay, kings and queens, I'd like to talk with you this evening about a term called race norming. Have you ever heard of it? Well, how about I start with the definition so that we know what we're talking about. Race norming refers to the practice of using a person's racial classification as a factor in adjusting the results of medical, psychological, neurological, or other similar tests or assessment, often at the expense of Black people, African-Americans. Now, Malika Fair, she's a new mother, she's also African-American, and she is a practicing physician. She's the Senior Director of Health Equity Partnerships and Programs at the Association of American Medical Colleges, as well as an Associate Clinical Professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine of George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences in Washington, D.C. So she has a pretty panoramic perspective on how Black people are treated by the healthcare system here in the U.S. One common practice that deeply concerns Dr. Fair is race norming. And once again, it refers to the adjustment of medical test results or medical risk assessments based on a patient's race. In other words, if you're Black, you might score differently than you would if you were white with the identical or similar set of uh, symptoms simply because of the color of your skin. You understand what I'm saying to you? Now, she believes that it's important to re-examine and reevaluate the use of clinical algorithms because of the potential impact that it can have on patients' lives, which, I mean, seems pretty reasonable, right? I mean, we use algorithms sometimes to know when to post messages on social media to get the most impact, right? They're using algorithms to treat Black people differently than white people, basically. I mean, that's what it kind of boils down to, or anybody else for that matter. Now, she points to one such race-based calculator that she finds disturbing, and it's called the UTI CALC, which is a urinary tract infection calculator for use in children. And it was developed by researchers at the University of Pittsburgh in 2018. Now, her daughter falls into the age range for which the calculator is used. So basically, it says that because she's Black, she has a lower risk, her daughter that is, of having a urinary tract infection. And she's like, where does that come from? In fact, we should all be asking that question. Where does that come from? What is that based on? It's concerning because it means that her daughter could be discriminated as well as yours against, you know, they could be discriminated against by well-intentioned um, medical systems and well-intentioned doctors, all because of a formula. So Village, are you surprised to learn that this practice is so common even these days? It is definitely not something that is publicized to patients. Now, besides our healthcare system, there is another way that this method is being used. The National Football League, the NFL, inadvertently shined the light on the issue after the long-term health ramifications of sports-related concussions made headlines resonating far beyond the sports page. It all started back in 2013 when the NFL agreed to pay $765 million as compensation for brain damage that players had suffered as a result of recurring concussions, which is an all-too-common occurrence in the high-contact sport. Now, more than 3,000 retired players of all racial backgrounds have since filed claims, 
the majority of them for dementia, according to reports. As part of the claims process, players agree to take cognitive tests for dementia and other neurological conditions, the potential result of a career filled with tackles and repeated blows to the skull. Now, science confirms that repetitive trauma to the brain, such as that experienced by football players, military veterans, and others at high risk of frequent head injury, can cause chronic traumatic encephalopathy, or CTE. And CTE kills brain cells and over time leads to cognitive problems like memory loss and dementia, according to the Concussion Foundation. They discovered that Black people were assigned a lower pre-injury baseline for cognitive function than white people, making it harder to show they've endured neurological damage from sports-related concussions. So like, Village, consider this. Nearly 70% of the NFL players are Black. That means nearly three-quarters of retired pros face inflated odds of having their claims denied by the NFL. But the issue of race norming, it goes far beyond cognitive assessments in pro sports. Race informs many everyday clinical decisions and calculations across multiple fields of medicine. And these fields include, but are not limited to, kidney care, cardiology, oncology, obstetrics, urology, endocrinology, and pulmonology, okay? Before the NFL story hit, this practice generally operated behind the scenes. Examples of race-based diagnostic and treatment algorithms are widespread and often take the form of online risk calculators. So, for instance, doctors, they go to a website, such as that of a prominent medical association. They will input patient data, including rates, and then they'll get a recommendation that may influence the treatment they prescribe. So take cardiology, for example. Say you're a doctor evaluating a heart failure patient. You'll likely go to the American Heart Association's Get With The Guidelines Heart Failure Risk Tool, which is designed to help guide physicians on treatment. You'll input the patient data, including their blood pressure, age, sodium level, and heart rate. And it also asks if your patient is Black. Black patients automatically get three points subtracted from their risk score because the research on which the tool was based says that Black heart failure patients have a lower risk of dying in the hospital. Really? Really? Which means that they're less likely to score high enough to be eligible for certain treatments available to white patients for whom the algorithm is programmed to show a higher risk of dying. And that comes from Dr. David Shamway Jones, who is a physician and historian who teaches history of medicine and medical ethics at Harvard University. And he's also the senior author of the N as in Nancy E. J.M. as in Mary study that examined 13 different race norming algorithms across medical specialties. Now, this next tool that I'm about to speak about, I have talked about it in a previous episode, but it's definitely worth mentioning again, right? The online vaginal birth after cesarean risk calculator, or the VBAC as it's called. Now, this calculator ranks a Black woman who has previously had a C-section 
as less likely than a white woman under similar circumstances to both safely and successfully give birth vaginally for all subsequent deliveries. That means Black women may be advised more often to have another C-section despite potential surgical complications, longer recovery, and more pain. Now, this tool was developed using research from a 2005 study that linked being Black to increased risk of complications during vaginal birth. Marital status and insurance types were also associated with risk, but those factors were inexplicably left out when creating the algorithm, says Dr. Jones. So beautiful people. I mean, this sounds straight up racist, doesn't it? Now, although these tools have been endorsed by the American Heart Association and the National Kidney Foundation, the goal wasn't to design a tool that would discriminate and deny care to Black patients. Instead, the hope was to improve the precision of clinical care. I don't know how they can say that, though, right? But as Dr. Jones recognizes, race is a lot more complicated than a single data point, and race-based tools can have unintended effects, uh, you think? Now, as a result, a growing number of physicians are pushing back against using them to make medical decisions, okay? Which is like, thank you. I mean, I'm glad to know that. Now, as always, beautiful people, I invite you to do your own research, okay? If nothing else, this shows just how important it is to advocate for yourself. And we can start by being aware of the practices that could cause potential harm, whether they're intended to or not. Using race covertly behind the scenes without letting patients know, it violates the principles of shared decision-making. And decisions about your health are exactly the ones that you need to be involved in. You dig? Probably can't 
Now, Village, I know, I know that I don't have to tell you who that was, because unless you have been living under a rock somewhere, then you know that that was the one and only Miss Patti LaBelle with If Only You Knew, which was written and produced by Dexter Wansel and Cynthia Biggs. It spent four weeks at number one on the U.S. R&B chart. And this was also her first crossover pop hit, reaching number 46 on Billboard Hot 100. Okay, kings and queens, so it's time for this week's inspirational story. And the name of this week's story is called When the Wind Blows. No, I know I didn't hear y'all say the bow breaks and all. No, no. It's just called When the Wind Blows. <laughs> Here's the story. Once there lived a farmer who owned land along the Atlantic Ocean. Even after sending out several advertisements for recruitment to take care of his farm, no one seemed to sign up for it. People were reluctant to work along the Atlantic because it had frequent raging storms. These cruel and violent storms destroyed every building and crop field they touched. After months of advertising and request refusals, a man approached a farmer for the job to take care of the farm. Do you have any skills or experience to work on a farm like this? The farmer asked him. He said, well, I may not have enough experience, but I can sleep when the wind blows, replied the man. Although the farmer wasn't much convinced by the man's answer, the farmer was too desperate to have someone to help him on the field, so he hired him anyway. The man worked well around the farm and the farmer was pretty satisfied with him. Then one stormy night, the wind howled 
waking the farmer. The farmer immediately got out of bed, grabbed the lantern, and headed towards the quarters where his helper was sleeping. Wake up, the farmer yelled, throwing the soundly asleep man off the bed. A storm is coming. Tie things down before they get blown away. The man sat up and said, no, sir, I told you. I can sleep when the wind blows. The farmer turned red with fury after listening to this. He controlled all his will to fire the man because at the moment it was more important to secure his fields and barn than to sit here and argue with his helper. The farmer ran out to tie things up and was surprised by what he saw. All of the haystacks were covered with tarpaulins. The chickens were in the coops, cows in the barn. The doors were closed and barred and the shutters were firmly secured. Everything was tied down so that nothing could be blown away. The farmer smiled as he comprehended what his employer said, or his employee said, excuse me. Now he understood what the man meant when he said he could sleep when the wind blew. He went off to bed himself and slept very soundly through the storm. Now, <laughs> what is the moral of the story? Well, you have absolutely nothing to fear when you're prepared physically, mentally, and spiritually. Are you able to sleep when the wind blows through your life? This next song was released in June 1984 as a lead single from his second album, No Breaks. It reached number one on Billboard's album Rock Tracks and on the Hot 100, as well as number nine on the UK singles chart. This song has appeared in a few movies like Selena in 1970, excuse me, in 1997, Warm Bodies in 2013, and 22 Jump Street in 2014. The singer describes how much he misses his ex-lover, and in the chorus, he lies to himself and basically everyone else when he vehemently denies missing them. Now, it may be possible that we all have experienced these feelings at one point in our lives, right? Well, anyway. Here's John Waite with Missing You. Every time I think of you I always 
was American R&B band Cool in the Gang with Cherish, which was released in 1985. It was the third single released from the band's 16th studio album, Emergency. It was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America and held the number one position on Billboard's adult contemporary chart for six weeks running. It would ultimately rank as the biggest adult contemporary chart hit of the 1980s. Thank you. 
Well, kings and queens, it looks like we have come to the end of another show. And I so hope that the information provided will be of help to you. Remember, it's always a good idea to do your own research, no matter what the topic is, especially if your life is involved. I want to thank you all so very much for tuning in this week, and I'm looking forward to being with you all again here in the village next Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Please be sure to follow Village Mentality on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary, and on Facebook at Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch episodes of Village Mentality on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Radio Public, and there is a link available to each episode, again, on Instagram at villagementality.ckm as in Mary, and at Facebook on Village Mentality, the podcast. You can also catch episodes at theawakenlounge.com backslash village hyphen mentality. And just remember that God has got me and he's got you too. Be blessed, beautiful people. And here's to brighter days. <laughs>